Take your Bibles, open to John chapter 6. And let me ask you this question. So good to have my wife, Laura. Knew I could remember Laura's name because I'm married to a Laura. 41 years, uh, 42 coming up in August. Appreciate uh, our time together. Have been in ministry 40 plus years. Pastored a number of those years and now work at the Kentucky Baptist Convention. We have three children, but they don't really matter much anymore because now we have four grandchildren. That's what matters. Jack Walker, uh, McQuarrie, three boys uh, by our daughter and son-in-law, Clark David McQuarrie, and my namesake, Walt Stephen McQuarrie. It's hard for him not to be my favorite since he has my name. And then precious little Reagan Charlotte, our granddaughter. And they have really uh, spurred us along uh, in these days, and we're excited Uh, to see them grow in the Lord and look forward to that day. I just thought of them and prayed for them as you were baptizing your daughter. What a moving uh, time that was. Thank you so much. Do you know which miracle, and there's a strong hint because we've already given you the text in John 6, but which miracle is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels? Now, anytime something's recorded in the Bible, it's important. We believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Uh, The Scripture says it is God-breathed. And so we believe that. We believe the Bible's infallible, perfect in every way. So if it's in there once, it's important. If it's in there twice, it might not be twice as important, but it certainly gets our attention. But this miracle is the only miracle in all four Gospels. It's in Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and here in John 6. And we'll pick up that miracle in a moment. A very familiar story, and you know the background. Jesus sent the 12 disciples out in teams of two, the scripture says, to teach and preach in the surrounded, uh, surrounding villages. The preaching theme was in Mark 6. People should repent. That's still a pretty good theme today, that people should repent. Mark also says they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil, and they were healed as a result. Uh, Apostles, the apostles came back, reported to Jesus all that they had done and all the things they had been teaching. And upon their return, the apostles learned, got the news, that King Herod had beheaded John the Baptist. It was at that point that Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while, Mark 6, 31. And so they got in a boat. They began to sail on the Sea of Galilee, sometimes referred to the Sea of Tiberias. Galilee's the region. Tiberias is a city right on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Laura and I have stayed there in Tiberias. If you've traveled to the Holy Land, you've probably stayed there in Tiberias. It existed in the day of Jesus, still exists today. And so don't be confused if you hear different terms for the same body of water. And he was with them in the boat. They needed some R&R. They were tired from preaching and teaching and seeing people healed. They were grieving, no doubt, because of the loss and sudden tragic 
death of John the Baptist. He was debriefing them because he was the master teacher and he knew he would not always be with them. Yes, they would have the Holy Spirit, but he would ascend back to the Father. So he was debriefing, teaching them by, uh, by, by talking about what they had been doing. And that was the scene. And we pick up right there in John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. They weren't following him by boat, but Mark 6 says that they ran around the lake on foot. The Sea of Galilee at its widest point is about five miles wide. There on the northern shores, it's not quite that wide. And so you can see all the way across the Sea of Galilee on a clear day. And so they saw Jesus and the disciples in the boat, and they were running around the shores, planning to be wherever he docked or wherever he landed. They were following him. They were doing that, verse 2, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Yes, Jesus was the Son of Man, but he was also the Son of God. He was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so he knew what he was going to do. He knew what was about to happen in the future. He didn't ask Philip this question because he needed to know the answer. He asked Philip this question to challenge him and to use it as a teaching moment for Philip, for the disciples, and I think for the entire multitude who was there. They were facing a challenge. What can we do to feed all of these people who are present? A lot of families in western Kentucky are facing challenges still today as they rebuild from tornadoes. People in eastern Kentucky are facing challenges as they mud out and rebuild because of flooding. Some of you are facing health challenges this morning. Some of you are facing financial challenges this morning. Maybe some students are facing challenges with relationships with a fellow student in school or, or possibly someone else in your life. Lots of churches across Kentucky are facing challenges. I work in the area of revitalization and 65, maybe 70% of Kentucky Baptist churches, we have about 2,400 churches in the state, about 65 to 70% of those are not healthy like this church. They're not growing like this church. They're not baptizing seven people on a Sunday morning like this church. About 70% or 65 or so, it's hard to get the exact number, but right about that, are plateaued, and many of them are even declining. And if things don't turn around, some of them will shut their doors this year or one of the years in the near future. So be praying for other churches across 
the state. And this church, of course, is facing a challenge because your beloved pastor has announced his transition and his impending retirement. And I know that leaves you at an awkward, in an awkward position, and it leaves you feeling a little bit anxious. Yes, you trust the Lord and all that, but what are we going to do without Pastor Dan here every week preaching the Word of God and leading us throughout the week? And one of the greatest challenges, of course, is simply being lost and needing Jesus in your life. And maybe there are persons here this morning who are lost and You've never been baptized, and you've never come to faith in Christ. And yes, you're in an impossible situation. There's no possibility that you can save yourself, that you can clean up your act in such a way that you would go to heaven. Your only hope is for a miracle, a miracle of salvation in the Lord Jesus. And so how do we react when we face a challenge? Well, in this story, this story that's in all three Gospels, all four Gospels, this story, there's more than three Gospels, by the way, there's four. I'm glad I caught myself and that wasn't corrected. I'm glad it was corrected on on the tape. Uh, How do we react to a challenge? Well, there's three ways. One, we can react like Philip. Jesus asks Philip, Philip, what are we going to do? Where are we going to buy bread so these people may all eat? So what did Philip do? You read the text. Philip took out his calculator. Maybe maybe it was an iPhone or an iPad. He fired up his commercial food preparation app, and he did the math. He punched in 5,000 men. total, 12,000, 15, I think I saw one commentary said 18,000 people. Don't get hung up on the number. Just know that the number is that many in that setting, in that scenario. Verse 7, here's how Philip answered. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One denarius was about a day's pay. So 200 denarii would be about eight months' wages. If we had eight months' wages, and we don't, and if there was a store nearby and there wasn't, there's no way we would have enough money or enough wherewithal to feed all of these people. Philip basically said, this is an impossible situation. And he was right. But notice what he did next. He dismissed the challenge immediately. He gave up before he even tried. And most importantly, he didn't factor God in the equation at all. Jesus was the Son of Man, but he was also what? The Son of God. He was right there. And Philip didn't factor that in at all. 
By his actions, Philip seemed to say, what many of us have heard, and maybe we've said ourselves sometimes, well, we'll never be able to do that. Or, or I won't believe it until I see it. Or there's no use to even try because we will fail. Can I remind you today, church, don't leave God out of the equation. David factored God in the equation when he said to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Jeremiah factored God in when he prayed, Ah, oh, Lord God, you have made heaven and earth by your great might. With your outstretched arm, nothing is impossible to you. Jesus factored God in when he told the disciples, with God, all things are possible. And the Apostle Paul factored God in when he said in Philippians 4, 13, and maybe that's your favorite verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Factor God in the equation. Don't do like Philip and, and just say, hey, it's impossible and move on, but factor God in if you're facing health challenges. Factor God in if you are facing a broken relationship. Factor God in if you're trying to start a family and, and, and it's just not happening. Factor God in if you have family members who are not saved. And by all means, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you're not a Christian and you're not saved and you know you're in an impossible situation, Factor God in, because with Jesus, you can be saved here today in this very service. But notice there's a second way we can react. Not only can we react like Philip, we can improve a little, and we can react like Andrew. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? A fair question, but not the right answer. Andrew decided to go a step further than Philip. He didn't simply say, it's impossible. I've surveyed the situation. It's impossible. Let's move on. Andrew decided to do what he could do. He inventoried the available resources. And I would argue that Andrew's, Andrew's reaction is an improvement, but he also left God out of the equation. Many times when we're in a conversation, we can tell it's not going that well. And we can hear in advance that although they're saying some good things and they're saying some things that are somewhat positive, we can hear there's a but coming in this conversation. And usually what follows the but in that conversation, we anticipate it's going to be something negative. But in the Bible, when we put the word God behind the word but, everything changes. The Bible's full of times when God stepped into a situation that was impossible, and everything changed. Yes, the flood was over the entire earth, but God remembered Noah. Yes, Laban cheated Jacob, 
but God saw his hardship. Yes, Saul tried to kill David, but God did not give David into Saul's hands. Yes, Jonah was swallowed by some kind of big fish, but God placed him safely on dry land. Yes, Jesus was crucified in our place and buried in a borrowed tomb, but God raised him from the dead and he is now seated at the right hand of God. Yes, we're all tempted to sin, but God is faithful. He's not, who will, will not allow you or me to be tempted beyond what we are able. Yes, it seems the world waxes worse and worse every day, every week, every month, every year, but God is coming back to rapture his children and we will ever be with the Lord. We can react like Andrew and say, well, there are some resources here, but what are they among so many? Or we can factor God in the equation. And that's the third reaction. It's the reaction of the little boy, verse 9. There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? If I were to ask you a question this morning and say, hey, would you turn to one of those gospel locations either in, in, uh, in John 6, you could turn there, or turn over to... Uh, one of the other locations where this text is, Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9. And, and, and tell me the name of this little boy. You would know that that's a trick question if you've read your Bible very much at all. You would know that none of the gospel accounts, none of the four, notice I got it this time, four, none of the four tells us his name. He's a nameless, almost invisible character in the story. I think that's significant. I believe some of the greatest people in heaven will be people we've never heard of. Folks who just love God. Folks who were not called to the spotlight. Nothing wrong with being in the spotlight if God calls you there. Folks who never pastored a great church. Folks who never sang a solo beautifully. Folks who never played the keyboard on stage or any musical instrument. They were just called to serve behind the scenes. And they loved God. And they served God faithfully. And when they went to heaven, God said, well done, good and faithful servant. And some of the greatest people in heaven will be people we've never heard of. People whose name we do not know. People like this little boy. And you may be a member of this church and you may be serving in some role and you may feel like it doesn't make a difference. Can I just say with all love and all respect, you are just dead wrong. Every position matters. Every body part, the church is often referred to as a body, and every body part matters in a local church. And you matter to God. And whatever God calls you to, just do it to the best of your ability and do it factoring God in the equation. And notice what this little boy did. He gave his lunch to Jesus. 
Now think about this with me. You have to kind of read outside the text. I just admit that, all right? But I think it's there. How many people were there? 5,000 men. Add the women and children, how many? We don't know. 10, 12, 15, 18,000 people. You mean to tell me that that little boy is the only person who had food? You mean to tell me that no one else had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Nobody had a can of Vienna sausages or pork and beans or beanie weenies. No one cut a big slab of bologna and slapped it on some bread and had a bologna sandwich or a granola bar or a cliff bar or a banana or an apple. Figs grew in the area. No one had any figs or grapes. You and I know lots of people had food. But only one little boy was willing to say, hey, I, I don't know if this will help, but I've got some bread and I've got some fish and Jesus can have it if it'll help. You may feel like you're not all that talented and you may feel like you're not all that gifted, but whatever talents you have, God has given them to you. And whatever gift you have, God has given them to you. And if you will just give them back to the Lord, God will use those talents and those gifts to bring Him glory and to point people to Jesus. Simple faith this little boy had. A childlike faith, yes. And notice what happened as a result. Pick up the text in John 6, verse 10. Jesus said, Had the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them He told his disciples, gather up I don't know what it signifies, but I do know it says, look, many times when Jesus does a miracle, he goes over and in in above and blesses in an abundant way. with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. What challenge are you facing in your life? What challenge is this church facing in the near future? I know you're about to remodel and begin a construction project, and, and that's going to be a great challenge, just, just getting in and out. And, and, and I know they're working on that. And, and they'll have a plan for that. But, but behind the scenes, that's going to take a, a great deal of planning and a great deal of work. And progress is messy. And we're excited with you about that. But, but there'll be challenges with that. And you understand that. And the challenge of, of Pastor Dan transitioning out. And, and there's many other challenges, no doubt, that you're aware of that you're facing as a church. Facing individually. Will you react like 
Andrew? Just say, we can't do it. Will you react like Philip? We can't do it. Andrew took it a step further. We can't do it, but, but here's some gifts we have, some talents, but we, we still won't be able to do it with those. Or will you react like that little boy and say, this is probably impossible, but we do serve an awesome God, and I'll give my talents and my gifts to the Lord, and I'll place my faith in God that he can do impossible things. My brother's five, four years older than me. We were both raised in church. His name's David, and he wouldn't mind me telling this story. He'd probably be proud that I, I told this story. Maybe not proud of the first part, but he's proud of the Lord now. We both went to church as we grew up, when we were growing up. And my dad was a, was a deacon. My mom was our first Sunday school teacher. Went to the First Baptist Church of Allen, Kentucky. When my brother turned 16 and got his license, that was it for him. Never went back to church. Uh, sadly, the story of his life is he was married four times. Uh, many of those uh, broken relationships were his fault. He would tell you that. He had more girlfriends than anybody I ever have known, in addition to four wives. Multiple girlfriends through the years. I didn't even think he's that good looking. I think I'm a lot better looking than he is. And I'm not much. But girlfriend after girlfriend, many of them living girlfriends, in addition to four wives. We've been praying for him all those years. Would try to witness to him. He never had any interest. Mom would invite him to church on special occasions. And I think maybe two or three times in all of those years, he might have shown up on an Easter or Mother's, probably Mother's Day or something like that. You know how it is. You've got family members like that, just showed zero interest in the things of God. At some point in his life, although he didn't do that early in life, he began to drink alcohol. And, and uh, I don't know if he was ever an alcoholic, but I know he drank a lot uh, and many, many days throughout the week. and just seemed to be drifting further and further away from making a decision for the Lord. In 2018, my dad called me. My dad's 94, be 95 in just a few days. My dad called me, and everyone who knows me when I was little still calls me by the same name, and my dad, even though I'm as old as I am, still calls me by the same name. I picked up the phone, and dad said, Stevie? Your brother just got saved. Now, I've been a pastor for 28 years. Been in ministry over 40 years. And looking back, I wish I had said something much more spiritual than I did. I wish I'd have said something like, well, of course he got saved. We've been praying for him for all these years, and nothing is impossible with God. But what I said was, Dad, I can't hardly believe that. But then I got to thinking about it. And he said, oh, well, you better believe it. He got saved. And I got to thinking, isn't that just like the Lord? When we're at the point that there's nothing we can do, even though we tried to witness and we prayed and we'd done 
we did all we knew to do somewhere out of seemingly nowhere. God does something wonderful. And when my brother got saved, he really got saved. And we went and watched him be baptized a couple weeks later. My brother's struggling now with fighting cancer, going through some chemo, but his faith is so strong. One day we were talking early in the morning. He said, well, I couldn't sleep last night. I woke up about 3 in the morning. I said, well, what in the world do you do when you wake up at 3 in the morning? He said, well, I just watched the doctor. And I thought, what's he talking about? His physician or what's he mean? And he said, I said, doctor, what doctor? He said, oh, Dr. Stanley. Just like I knew that Charles Stanley was on at 3 a.m. in the morning. And a man who had no interest in God when he wakes up in the middle of the night now wants to hear someone preaching the Word of God. Only God can do something like that. I'm going to ask we bow our heads. If you have a family member who's unsaved, don't you give up. Don't you quit. They may be as lost as David Rice and shown no interest in God, but don't you give up. You keep praying. You keep sharing. You keep asking God to do what only God can do to save your family member so they can go to heaven and spend eternity together with you. If you're here this morning and there's never been a time in your life when you've received Jesus, we invite you to come. I'll be down front. Just come and say, Brother Steve, I want to be a Christian or other pastors will be here as well. They'd be glad to talk with you. Just come and say, I want to be saved. I want to be a Christian. And boy, we would love to pray with you and try to answer any questions you might have. You may want to move your membership to this church. This would be a great morning to do that. And pastors are available to talk with you about that. Just come and say, hey, we feel the Lord's leading us here. And we want to come. Or maybe you're a believer and something's on your heart. You just want to pray about something. You're burdened. And it would be helpful if a pastor prayed with you. We'd be honored to do that. Would you just come and say, Pastor, would you pray with me about this? Again, several pastors will be here. We'd be honored to pray with you. Whatever God is saying, this is not our invitation. This is God's invitation. He's speaking to your heart. And whatever He's saying, you can trust Him. You can obey Him. And we ask you to do it this morning. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for the simple truths in this story about a little boy who trusted what he had to the God of the universe. And as a result, a miracle happened that was written about in all four Gospels and has been preached about for two millennia. Father, help us to have that kind of faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.